In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, <clears throat> you know, usually like at the beginning of um, New Year's, people like, they, they like to do a New Year's resolution, right? And, you know, we're going to begin this year, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And usually what, Yanni, a few days or maybe a few hours into the new year, we, we break our resolutions because, you know, we're being maybe ambitious about what we think we're going to do and all of that. Um, but we're always, we're always looking forward to a new beginning, right, to a new, a new start. And actually, on Monday, we're going to have another new beginning. What's, what's going to start on Monday? Fast. Yes, the Great Fast, the Holy Lent. <clears throat> Um, so we, we, you know, we anticipate this new beginning, uh, you know, a time for repentance, a time for uh, worship, a time for meditations. And of course, we look forward to, um, you know, Holy Week. And af after Holy Week, we look forward to the Holy Resurrection and the joyous times that we spend there. Um, and in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7 and verse 8, um, King Solomon says something very interesting. He says that the end of a thing is better, better than its beginning. So <clears throat> what does it mean, the, the end of a thing is better than its beginning? Because typically, you know, um, people are looking at the beginning or at the end. When we think, for example, of a mother giving birth, okay, which is more joyous, the beginning or the end? The end, right? Even the, the Lord said in, in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 16, a woman, when she is in labor, her sorrow has sorrow because her hour has come, right? She's going through labor. This is a very, you know, painful process. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world, right? So the end here is better than the beginning. The beginning, there's labor, there's you know sorrow, there's pain. But the end, she gives birth to a child, and now you know she she doesn't actually you know you can ask all the mothers. They usually don't remember all that they have gone through once they have the child because they are joyous about, you know, the birth of the child. And the Lord himself, <clears throat> after he, you know, was crucified and he died and he was put in the tomb and he rose from the dead and he appeared to the disciples. It says what? He showed them his hands. What was in his hands? The, the nail print, right? So the, the, the you know, the, the wounds were in his hands and his side where he was pierced. Then the disciples were what? Were sad because they saw this? No, they were glad when they saw the Lord. So the end here again is the resurrection. Yes, the beginning was the, the you know, the, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering, the death. But then the end was the resurrection. And so the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <clears throat> So what is the end of something? You know, people are usually concerned about the end of a book, right? Nobody like stays at the beginning of the book. They want to see how the book ends, right? Or the movie, right? You want to see the end of the movie. Sometimes the movie is so boring, but you're, you know, you're halfway through. You've already invested an hour of your life 
and you're like, okay, let me just see the end of the movie so I can, you know, have closure to this movie. Or the story, you know, somebody's telling you a story, this happened, this happened, this happened, and you're like, okay, what's the end? What happened at the end, right? Um, even arguments, right? You want to see the end of the argument. Who's who's going to, you know, what's, what's the outcome of that? Uh, people usually, if there's a, a battle or a war, they want to see what's the end of the war or what's the, the end of the battle. Even sports, right? You know, we, we just had the, the Super Bowl a few weeks ago, right? Were people more interested at the beginning of the game or at the end of the game? The end of the game. They want to see who's going to win. They want to see what's what's going to happen. What is the conclusion? Or the middle. After. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, um, in our spiritual life, St. Paul says this in Hebrews chapter 13. He's speaking about the saints. And he says, remember those who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Considering the outcome of their conduct. You know, we celebrate in our church the Synexarium, right? In the Synexarium, do we usually celebrate like the birth of the saint or the death of the saint? 95% the death of the saint. More than 95%. Actually, I think there's only two people that we celebrate their birth, St. Mary and St. John the Baptist. I think there's maybe a third person. I think I'm thinking uh, King David. But most of the time, we're celebrating the end, the martyrdom or the, the departure of the saint, right? So <clears throat> what are some examples of people who started good but ended bad in the Bible? Saul, King Saul, right? King Saul, actually, that's, that's a really good one. Um, if we read in, in the book of First Samuel and I believe it's chapter seven when it speaks about you know when when Sam when Samuel was going to ordain a king, okay, and you know the people came to Samuel and, and they said we don't you know we want a king, and Samuel was very upset, and he went to God and and he's like God you know I'm not happy about this, and the Lord said don't worry they have not rejected you they have rejected me do for them what they want. But I will appoint the king. And he gave some, you know, um, you know, characteristics to this king that it should be. And then, in, you know, in the middle of the chapter, we have this, you know, interjection of a story um, of this man who had a, um, uh, a colt that, that ran away. And so he sent his son to go look for the colt. And who was his son? Saul. Okay. And actually, if, if you read the, the story, you know, diligently, you find that there's a lot of good characteristics of Saul. Uh, he was obedient to his father. His father told him, go look for the cult. So he went to, and did not argue, did not say, so what? We just get another cult or something like that. Um, and he was responsible. He went and looked and it says he went from this place to this place to this place. How, how long did he look for the cult? For two days. He was looking for the cult. So it shows responsibility, shows, um, you know, diligence and shows that he's he's not just going to, you know, um, trick his father, you know, and just go back and say, well, you know, I looked and I didn't find it. OK. Um, and he was a shepherd and he cared about, you know, the um, uh, the, the sheep and, and, and the cult that he has. But the end of, of King Saul was bad. Right. He rejected God and he. Um, 
you know, took matters in his own hands and, you know, he basically, um, you know, overrode the authority of Samuel and, and everything like that. Good one. Who else? That was the first one. Can you think of somebody else? Very famous in the New Testament. In the middle? Yes. Who? Judas. Judas Iscariot. You know, the Lord chose him. That means he had some good qualities, right? But he went astray and he, you know, went after uh, money. Another one um, is a disciple of St. Paul. His name is Demas. In Second Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 10, St. Paul says what? Do you, does anybody know the, the reference to Demas? That he like remembers him like crying because he, he like was with God and he was one of the Christians and then he went after his own. Yeah, the verse is Dimas has left me having loved the, the, the present world. So Dimas was a disciple of St. Paul. You know, a lot of us say, Oh, I wish I was like alive in the time of St. Paul. I would have followed him around, you know, I would have uh, served with him. Well, here's a disciple who followed St. Paul and was serving with him. And at, at some point, he did not finish. And he left St. Paul and he went um, because he loved the world. There's a reference to the Galatians, the, the people of Galatia, in chapter 3, verse 3. And I would like somebody to read that. Can somebody read that? Galatians 3, 3, so that we can um, look at that reference together. <clears throat> Whoever has it ready. Got it? Okay, can you read it? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? St. Paul's rebuking the Galatians. Because he said, you began in the spirit. That means you began as spiritual people. You began in a spiritual life. You began with God. And now what? Being made perfect by the flesh. You forgot about the spiritual things, and now you are looking at the earthly things. And so he called them foolish because of that. Okay, what about people who started bad and then ended good? Do you have some examples of that? We have... Rahab, you've, yep, With Rahab the harlot, right, yes. I was thinking chronologically. <laughs> so what's the story of Rahab, what did she do? Well, she was a harlot in Jericho, and then she helped the two spies from Israel. Exactly. Why did she help the spies? Did you ever think about it? She recognized, like, the, like, the God of the Israelites is, like, the powerful God, like, but she wasn't, she wasn't, you know, uh, Jewish. She, she, she wasn't Israelite. Heard. Uh, but she heard. She heard, yes. So many people in Jericho heard, right? But only one person believed Rahab. And that's why she, even though she started bad, she, she finished good because of her faith. Another person, Saul of Tarsus. Who's that? Who's, who's Saul of Tarsus? You better know this. We're sitting in his church. St. Paul. St. Paul. Paul was Saul of Tarsus. And he was a Pharisee. And he persecuted the Christians. 
And who is he very famous for? Somebody was martyred and he was agreeing to his, uh, to his slaying. St. Stephen. And he was standing there guarding the garments of those who were stoning St. Stephen. So he started wrong, but then he, he, he completed or he finished right. We have someone online who's bringing outside the Bible, St. Moses the Black. Moses Very good, Sam Moses the Black, yes. Actually, um, well, I don't have it here, but yes, Sam Moses the Black. Sam Moses the Black started bad. He was a thief, he was a ringleader, he was a murderer. Do you know how, he, you know, just to give you an idea of how bad Sam Moses was. At one point he was, um, uh, you know, on, on land and there was an island across, you know, the, the river or the, or the lake. And there was a shepherd on the other side of, 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 the, of the lake. And so he called out to the shepherd and he says, give me one of your sheep. And the shepherd said, no, I'm not going to give you one of my sheep. So what did he do? He put his knife in his, in his mouth and he swam across the river. He killed the shepherd. He took two of the sheep and swam back, put his, the knife, now it's full of blood. Okay, it's just, you can imagine put the knife back in his mouth and swam holding the two sheep and came back to the other uh, to the other side that's how you know powerful and vicious he was he started out bad but he finished good where do you find these stories in the in the paradise of the saints in the paradise of the of the fathers saint augustine what what's the story of saint augustine how, how did he start let's see his mother was christian but then he was like Went astray like a like away from the away from the church and but by his mother by Saint his mother Saint Monica's like crying uh, fervently praying for for his uh, for his uh, restoration like God uh, answered her prayers and he uh, became he went back to the church and he became a bishop exactly so he he started out actually we can say he started out at the very beginning when he was young good because he learned you know Christianity from his mother. But then he went astray and, and he sinned and, and did all kinds of, you know, youthful uh, sins. But through the prayers and the, and the tears of his mother who cried for him for 20 years, he returned back and he became St. Augustine. Maybe this one you don't know about. Arianos, the governor of Ancena. Maybe you've heard uh, this, this name. Um, he was one of the most vicious um, governors who tortured the Christians during his time. He was creative about it. And yes, he was very creative of how he can torture them and how he can kill them. But at the very end of his life, he himself, after having killed so many Christians, he himself believed and he was martyred and, um, you know, received the crown of martyrdom. So the point is, what's more important, the beginning or the end? The end. The end. The end of something is better than its beginning. If we look at people who had good endings, if we look at the example of, you know, St. Joseph the Righteous, his beginning was actually very, you know, um, harsh. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold. He was enslaved. He was falsely accused by, by the, the, the wife of his master, and he was imprisoned. If the story stopped right there, we would have said, you know, Poor guy, right? But what was the end? He became father to Pharaoh. He became the second man in the country. He became the savior of Egypt, and actually not only Egypt, but all the region. 
because as we know from the story that his brothers came to, to buy food from him. So it wasn't just, the famine was not just in Egypt, but everywhere, and he became basically the savior. And that's why he's a personification of the Lord Christ, because he became the savior. So the end of his life was better than his beginning. What about Daniel? Daniel and, and you know, in the lion's den, right? The beginning, we see somebody being thrown into the, the lion's den, right? But the end of that story and the end of his life, of course, is even better. But my God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. He saved me. And with Daniel, we have always the story of the three young men, right? The three young men, the beginning, they were thrown into the fire, right? But the end, they walked with God. The fourth is like the Son of God. Imagine that you're in some kind of tribulation and you find, you know, Christ standing next to you. There, there's no more tribulation anymore. That's why, you know, the fire did not bother them. Once the Lord came and was with them, the fire had no power over them. And they were praising. <clears throat> Job the righteous. <clears throat> Job is, is, you know, a really good example uh, of, of um, patience and, and many things. The beginning of the story is all tribulation, right? He lost all of his possessions. He lost his sons and his daughters. He lost his health. He lost his house. He lost his friends. He lost his wife, basically, because she, at one point, she told him what? Curse God and die. Like, you know, it's over. Just die. You know, there's nothing left. But what happened when we read the end of the story? <clears throat> it says in the very last chapter, and the Lord restored Job's losses. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He also had seven sons and three daughters. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. If we look at the beginning of the story, poor guy, lost everything. It's better for him to die, really. You know, when, when you read the story, why are you even struggling? But because of his patience and because he continued to be faithful to the Lord, the end was much better than his beginning. <clears throat> St. Augustine, as we already talked about St. Augustine, and we already talked about St. Moses the Black, their, be their beginning was bad, but their end was much better. Do you know the story of St. Mary of Egypt or St. Paisa? It's, yeah, very, very similar. The, I mean, they're, they're two different people, but the story is, is pretty much the same. So, you know, basically they, they were Christian. Um, <clears throat> they, Semba Isa, for example, um, her parents were very giving, very charitable. And so she learned that from her parents. So the beginning seems to be good. And to the point where she gave all of her money and all of her possessions to the poor until she became poor herself. And so now this is where the story flips. So how does she overcome this poverty? She begins to sell her body and she begins to uh, commit sin. But at the very end, in, in the story of Sempa Isa, on the very last day of her life, she didn't know it was, her, it was the last day. 
um, <clears throat> the, fa the fathers of, of the desert heard about what happened to her. Of course, they knew her from before when she was charitable and given to the poor. <clears throat> and so they sent to her St. John the Short. And St. John the Short went and visited her. And um, he began to rebuke her for what she's doing until she, you know, she cried and she repented that same night. And so she told him, is there repentance for me? And he told her, yes, but not in this place. So she told him, take me wherever you want. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I repent. I'm not going to do this anymore. So he took her with him. The only place he knows to go is the wilderness. So they went into the wilderness <clears throat> and it was night. And so, you know, they're not going to have enough time to get to the monastery. And so he told her, okay, find a place to, to sleep and spend the night and I'll go, you know, sleep somewhere else. And so he went and, and to his place and then um, he saw a, like a pillar of light coming down on where she was um, sleeping. And so he went to see what was happening and he found her kneeling and then she's not moving. And, and he tried to like touch her. She had already departed. And so he stood up, you know, crying to God because he, he wasn't sure whether, you know, she had made it or not. And a voice came to him and, and, he, and said, the moment that she offered her repentance, she was forgiven and she was accepted. So the, be, the end of something is better than its beginning. We always want to look at the end of, of the story, the end of, um, you know, our spiritual life. So what is the end? As we start anything new, like we start a new project, okay, we want to see what is the end, right? There's in, in the gospel, um, you know, the story about the king who's about to fight with another king. And what does the, the Lord say? If he is wise, he'll do what? He'll count the cost. Okay, he'll sit down and count the cost and see whether he can defeat his enemy. And if he's, going to, if he's not going to be able to defeat his enemy, then he needs to do something else. He needs to go and ask, you know, terms of peace. So at the beginning of any project that we are going to do in our life, we need to sit down and count the cost. Can we complete? Can we finish or not? At the beginning of any relationship that we are going to have, we need to count the cost and see, can this work? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting into a relationship with a young man or a young woman. Can this work or not? And I need to, again, count the cost. Um, does this person have the same belief as I do? Is, are, are we on the same social stat, status? Are we on the same educational status? Is he or she available? You know, does it make sense for me to have a relationship with somebody in Australia and I'm in the US? Okay, is the distance going to matter? What about, you know, is this person emotionally available to me? Is this person even single? Maybe I'm, I'm trying to have a relationship and this person is not available because he's already involved with somebody. So any kind of relationship, I need to also count the cost and look what is the end. When I get into an argument, I need to understand what is the end. If I'm going to start insulting somebody and arguing with somebody and striking somebody, what is the end of that? How is that going to end? Um, if I start a new habit, hopefully it's a good habit. But if I start a bad habit, what is the end of that? How does that end? If I start smoking or drinking or something like that. We have to remember that every problem 
or every uh, challenge, Pope Shenouda put it very nicely. He said, it has a shape of a pyramid, okay? If you can, you know, like a triangle. What does that mean? Typically, the problem starts small, right? But it keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and we think, you know, there's no end to this problem. And when it reaches like the top, this is like when we've had it, right? But then when God starts to get involved, then it starts to, as, as, as Pope Shenouda uh, put it, that the, the problem bends down under the will of God down the triangle, the other side of the trunk, triangle, and start to diminish, diminish, diminish until at the end it's gone. Um, so there has to be an end. Every problem, every challenge has to, has to have an end. If we, if we look again at the story of Joseph, Joseph, you know, if, if we look at his problems, right? At the beginning, he was envied by his brothers, okay? Uh, he can deal with that, okay? You know, his brothers made fun of him. They didn't like him. Okay, his father tried to compensate by, you know, taking more, giving him more attention, giving him a, a new, you know, robe and stuff like that. And then, you know, his brothers were so envious of him that they took him and they threw him in the pit. Okay. Then they brought him out of the pit and they sold him as a slave. And then he became a slave in a strange land, so strange people. He doesn't even know the language. He doesn't know the customs. He doesn't know anything, right? Imagine if like one of us was taken and, and sent to China, okay? And we don't understand a word of Chinese. We don't know the culture. And not only are we just like visitors there, we're slaves, okay? We, we belong to, to somebody over there. And not only that, but then he gets, um, you know, accused of something he didn't do. Right? He's a righteous person and he's trying to live a righteous life and he's living by the he principles. Was hmm? And he was tempted. Yes. He was tempted by something that actually, yani, if, if, we, if we think about it, we can excuse him on many levels. Right? He's a young man. He's a stranger. He's a slave. Even the law of Moses wasn't even there yet. So he's going by the natural law. He's going by the law that his father taught him. Okay, by every sense, we could have excused him if he had fallen into the temptation, right? And then he gets accused, and then he gets put in prison for something he didn't do. Okay, and then you know, you know the story of, of the baker and the and, and the wine um, uh, wine bearer, and you know he interprets the dream for them, and they're happy. Well, one of them is happy, the other one isn't. Right. And he tells him, please remember me before Pharaoh. And then he forgets about him. <laughs> it's like on every, you know, on every angle, he's losing. Right. But what did Joseph do? He's like, I'm going to leave it in the hands of God. I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know how to do anything else. Right. And so that's when it reached the, you know, the top. And then that's when God started to work. And then the problem started to diminish, diminish until he became uh, the second man in Egypt. <clears throat> Pope Shenouda has three very famous sayings. God exists. It's all for good. And it's destined to end. Always remember those three sayings. God exists. So don't worry because God is there. He's watching. It's all for the good. Everything will work out for the good. And it's always destined to to end. No matter what the problem is, it's destined to end. <clears throat> we remember the martyrs and, you know, um, 
when we read about the martyrs, like in the Synexarium, it's one thing. But when we have seen them live five years ago, like the martyrs of Libya, it's, it's like a completely different understanding, right? What is the end of the pain and suffering? Okay, what is the end of the pain and suffering? And how does it compare to the paradise and to the crowns and the eternal life that they are about to gain? And this is why the Lord said, <clears throat> oh, death, where's your, where's your uh, sting? Because people feared death before the coming of the Lord, right? Because death to them was the end. But when they saw the Lord rise from the dead, now there's a different understanding to death. Death is not an end. It's a, it's a beginning. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. This is the end that is better than the beginning. <clears throat> we read also in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the natural body or the natural man and the spiritual man. And I, I want us to read this together. <clears throat> St. Paul is talking about, you know, the body. It is sown sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body when we are born we are born as natural you know flesh but when we are baptized we rise as what as a spiritual body there is a natural body and there's a spiritual body and so it was it is written the first man adam became a living being the last adam became a life-giving spirit who's the last adam christ the lord christ However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Of course, we are born with the, with the flesh, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, that's Adam. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as it is, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have born the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man do you know when this uh when this pauline epistle is read by the way or can you guess it's, it's one of the major feasts of the lord Transfiguration. what is he talking about look at the very first verse what does it say This is the Pauline epistle that's read in the Feast of the Resurrection. Because the Lord himself also took on flesh. And he was born a natural body, but he was raised a spiritual body. <clears throat> so we come to a, a common question that, you know, we ask a lot. And not only us, but Jeremiah asked it as well. He, he, he contended with the Lord and he said, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet let me talk with you about your judgment. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? This is a common question that all of us ask. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? If we are saying that the end of something is better than its beginning, why do we see you know, the way of the wicked prosper? And St. Augustine kind of answers that. And he says, evil men are like smoke, always rising up. OK, 
Okay, when you see smoke rising up, it looks like it has a lot of you know fluff and you know a lot of body, right? As it rises, it gets wider, it dissipates, while the fire fire underneath is strong and steadfast. So evil people are they're not the fire, they're the smoke. And so they keep on getting bigger and bigger, but as you know, the, the bigger they get, the, the more they dissipate, and eventually they 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 just fade away. Nobody remembers them. I'll give you an example. There are many examples, but I'll give you an example. Samuel. We know his parents, right? What, what are the name of his parents? Hannah and Elkanah. Hannah and Elkanah. Elkanah had another wife, right? Do you know her name? Was it even mentioned? It was mentioned, but see, nobody remembers her name. Her name was Fenenna. She had sons before before Samuel was born. They're not even mentioned in the Bible. Okay. Who was Samuel when you know when when he was uh, um, sent to the temple? Who was he serving with? Hmm? Eli. Okay, Eli the priest. How many people rem remember Eli more than Samuel? You have to think about Eli. Right? Eli had two sons. Do, do you know their names? Hophni and, and Elkanah. Like, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they were the, evil the, enough to be remembered. Their names are there, but we, we don't think about them. Why? Because what's their end? They died a, a terrible death. They took the, the, the Ark of the Covenant outside of the temple and it was stolen and taken away, and their father died. and you know, the whole family, nobody really cares about them, but we care about Samuel and we care about Samuel's family. Okay, because the evil people, they just, you know, eventually dissipate and nobody remembers them. So we ought to consider the end, not the beginning. So why do the, you know, why do the evil people prosper? Who cares? At the end, they dissipate. Psalm 52 kind of speaks about that. Why do you boast an evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. And now the, the next part is really nice. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. But what happens to the righteous? The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him saying, here is the man who did not make God his strength. So the evil man is going to go away and the Lord will pluck his name and, and, and you know, uh, throw him out. But the righteous man will, you know, will stay, will be steadfast, and he'll be laughing at the evil man saying, look what happened to the, to the guy who did not, you know, make God his strength. Judas Iscariot, we said that, you know, he had a somewhat of a good beginning, but he had a, a bitter end, a bad end. You think if he had thought about the outcome of his betrayal, he would have betrayed the Lord? No, actually, he regretted it. When he had a moment after all of the rushing and all, everything that was happening, when he had a moment to just calmly think, he said, what? I have sinned because I have delivered, um, 
you know, righteous blood. Okay. If he had taken that moment before, he would have had a much better end. St. Peter, you know, he, St. Peter was always like hot tempered, right? And he was strong in his, his words and, you know, always uh, outspoken. And he said to the Lord, if everybody denies you, I will not deny you, right? And then he denied him. And he denied him before who? Before the governor or before the, you know, the high priest? He denied him before a servant girl, okay? And what was the outcome? He cried bitterly for his mistake. A student who did not study very well, and he thinks about, you know, cheating on the exam. He, you know, if he takes a moment and he says, you know, what if I get caught? What's going to happen? Then he would not cheat, right? Because the consequences is much greater. Um, <clears throat> do you remember Abu Nahidra, um, who's serving in, in, uh, in Knoxville, right? His father was a, was a fellow student with Pope Shenouda. And... Um, his, his father actually told us the story that um, at one point in one of the exams, um, he did not study. And so he wanted to cheat. And Pope Shenouda told him, no, you cannot cheat. This is not right. And he's like, you know, like, mind your business. I'm, you know, I, I just need to pass the exam. And he told him, if you cheat, I'm going to report you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going to expel you from the school. And, and so the, the guy said... So I was afraid that he's going to report me, and I did not cheat, and I failed the exam. <laughs> but, you know, Pope Shenouda told him, it's okay, you can pass next time, next time study. So, you know, think about what's the outcome. The unjust steward in, in, in the um, parable uh, in, in Luke chapter 16. The master commended the unjust steward because he thought about the end. What's going to happen to me at the end? When I am removed from my stewardship, what's going to happen? Even though he did things that were unjust, the, the master commended, commended him because he looked, you know, ahead. So we shouldn't just like look down at, you know, where we are, but we should be looking ahead at what's to come. Okay, you know, every argument or fight that we have with, with our spouse or, or with our special someone, what's going to be the outcome of that? Every dispute that we have with one of our friends, what's going to be the outcome of that? Um, every argument that we have with, you know, somebody in the church, the priest or, or a deacon or the bishop, what's going to be the, the outcome of that? Every argument or quarrel that we have with other servants in the church, what's going to be the outcome of that? What's the difference between, you know, childhood and, and the elderly, right? Childhood is the beginning, right? They're cute, they're fuzzy, they're funny, they laugh, you know, all of that, right? But the elderly, this is the end. This is a person who's mature, who's knowledgeable, who's wise, who's experienced, who can, you know, give us a lot of benefits. Yeah, the beginning is nice and cute and cuddly, but the end is what's going to give us value. So we can't live like children forever. We have to grow. And this is what St. Paul told the Hebrews. 
he told them, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, he's talking to the servants and, and to the church in general, by this time, after so many years that I've been preaching to you, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be the ones who are teaching. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You need somebody to give you the ABCs. Even though by this time you should have been the teachers, you should have been the preachers, you are still children. And then he says what? And have come to need milk and not solid food. So a child, you know, when he's a baby, we give him milk, right? Because he cannot, he cannot um, you know, consume solid food. But imagine if we kept on giving him milk for the rest of his life, right? So he's a toddler and he's drinking milk. And now he's in preschool and he's drinking milk. And now he's in elementary school and he's drinking milk. And now he's in high school and he's drinking milk. Okay, can his, can his body sustain uh, the energy like that? No, he needs to take solid food. Here, the Hebrews, he said, by this time you ought to have been teachers, but you are still stuck on the ABCs of the oracles of God, and you're still taking milk and not solid food. <clears throat> in the spiritual life in general, typically, we have a painful beginning, but we should be looking for a better ending. And the Lord told us this. He said in, in Matthew chapter 7, Enter by the narrow gate. We know this verse. We know this passage. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Why? Because it's easy. Imagine, you know, there's a big, nice highway, right, paved and everything like that. And there's a, a little crooked road that's dirt road and, you know, full of rocks and stuff. Which one would you go on? Go on the big highway, right? But if you knew that this highway at the end just goes into a pit and you're going to fall and die, you wouldn't go in there. But the, the narrow gate or the narrow road is what's going to take you to heaven. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And in Psalm 126, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Imagine, you know, the farmer during, you know, the, the, the entire year, what is he doing? He's toiling. First, he's, he's sowing the seed and then he's watering it and you know, I mean, I don't know how many of you try to grow stuff in your backyard, right? It's it's not an easy thing. It's not. A, it's a painful process. I don't like to do it because I want results, right? You know, I I want to grow, and like two weeks later, I want to see fruit. It doesn't work that way, right? It takes a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of work, right? You you water every day, and 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 you you have to clean it and get rid of all the stuff that comes, and you know, get rid of the pests and the insects and stuff like that, and. Way at the end do you get the fruit. But when you get the fruit, imagine the joy. Ah, oh, I finally got, you know, the strawberries or, or the, the grapes or whatever, right? <clears throat> so consider always the end and not the beginning, okay? In our service, and we are all servants, and I'm, I'm not talking about Sunday school service, but any kind of service in the church. What is the goal of my service? What is the end of my service? In my spiritual life, <clears throat> so we go through cycles, right? We sin, we confess. We sin, we confess. We sin, we confess. Tabu and what's the end? 
Am I going to continue in the cycle forever that I sin and confess and sin and confess? Yes, I, I know that confession is put there for that reason, so that when I sin, I confess. But I have to be growing. I can't just keep on staying in the same level all the time. At some point, I have to grow. I have to overcome some of maybe the, the smaller sins and, and struggle with the bigger sins. How do I reach the life of repentance? Repentance is a life. How do I reach it if I'm always just you know falling, falling, falling? How do I reach spiritual growth? How do I reach holiness? Be holy as your Father in heaven who is holy, right? How do I reach perfection? Unless I'm growing, unless I'm looking at the end, that I have to strive to do something better, I will stay you know, at, at, at the, the low level. Some people think, well, you know what? I'll do whatever I want now, and later I'll, I'll, I'll confess, right? Or later I will repent. Okay, and, and we can think about this. So, you know, you say, I'm young now, you know, I have a lot of things to worry about, so I'll, I'll repent later. Now I'm in college, I have to worry about college, I'll repent later. Now I'm looking for a job, I, I need to focus on that, I'll repent later. Now I'm looking for a wife or a husband, I'll repent later. Now I have to take care of the kids, I'll repent later. Now I have to take care of the grandkids, I'll repent later. And it is impossible for somebody to repent on their deathbed. It is impossible. It is impossible. There's a story about a man who was on his deathbed and he was hugging a pillow. Like with all his might, he's hugging the pillow. They couldn't like take it away from him. And finally, when he died, so they took the pillow to see what's so special about this pillow. And they opened it and they found that he put all his money in the pillow. And on his deathbed, all he cared about was his money, and he was hugging the pillow because that's what he cared about. Um, some people say, you know, later in life or when something happens, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll return to God, and this will never happen unless we live the life of repentance. Unless we have a spiritual life now, we will never be able to repent later. So we need to set a goal towards perfection. And as we said at the beginning, that we are about to embark on the Holy Great Fast. And so, what is the end? You know, we need to look at the end. It's good for us to start. It's good for us to start the fast. It's good for us to do all of that. But if we start and we don't finish, this is worse than if we start late and finish at the end. Right? And we have to have like a program somehow, you know, some way for us to grow. Um, how many people have, have read this book, The Ladder of Divine Ascent? Two people? It's a very good book by uh, St. John Climacus. Um, he speaks, I, I believe it's 26 steps. And the, the, the image here is, is um, you know, it kind of tells you what it is. You know, how do you grow from step to step to reach heaven? And as you can see in, in the picture there, you see like all these monks, they're trying to go up the ladder. And you see that even all the way at the top, the demons are trying to pull them down and trying to make them fall. And some of them are falling. So some of the rungs of this ladder, as St. John Climacus uh, talks about, the first step is to renounce the world, leave the world behind. And the, the next step is penitence and affliction, repentance. The next step is defeat of the vices and acquisition of virtues. So now I'm going to try to overcome these sins 
and these challenges, and I'm trying to acquire virtues. And then I'm going to av avoidance of the traps of asceticism. All of these things that I'm trying to do in order to live a pure life, all of the challenges that come against me, I need to try to avoid. And then finally, I can acquire peace for my soul. So there has to be a program. There has to be a way for us to go step by step um, in order to reach uh, the, the heavenly goal. In the creed, what is the last verse that we pray in the creed? We look for the resurrection, resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. It doesn't say we look for the present world. It doesn't say we look for what we're going to do tomorrow. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. So this is the conclusion of our faith, is eternity. We are looking for eternity. You know, St. Paul had a vision that he, he went up three levels in heaven. Right? He went up to the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. And he couldn't describe to us the third heaven. Like, you know, he said, I saw things that, that are unutterable, that I, I can't, you know, describe i cannot write down and this is only the third heaven above the third heaven is the heaven of heaven this is where the lord dwells and our goal is to reach that heaven of heavens so imagine you know what this eternal life or what this life with god is going to be like if only the third heaven were things that are unimaginable what would be the eternal life with the lord saint paul speaks about this um when he actually speaks about Abraham and he says, for he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And St. John in the book of Revelation gives us a glimpse of this, you know, heaven of heavens. Now, and he describes it as a city that comes down from God. And he says, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them, on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stone. And then he goes to describe each one of those 12 foundations. The first one is Jasper, etc., etc., etc. So this, you know, um, vision that St. John saw of the, the you know, the, the heavenly city coming down from God. This is what we are looking forward to. The city whose foundation, uh, who has foundation, whose builder uh, and maker is God. So, as we said at the beginning, that the end of a thing is better than its beginning. We want to make sure that we are focused on what is the end, not what is the beginning. The end is more important than the beginning. We saw examples of the saints and in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the church history. People like King Saul, who started good but ended bad. People like Judas Iscariot, who started good but ended bad. And then we saw the opposite. People who started bad but ended good, right? So it's more important to look at the end, not the beginning. It's more important to understand where are we going. We may start good but end bad, and that's not going to help us. We have to make sure that we end good. What is the goal of every activity that we do? What is the end of every activity of every service that we do? We need to set a goal towards perfection. And you can take the, uh, the letter of divine ascent as, as kind of a template, you know, step by step. How do we reach that goal? How do we get to heaven? And remember, 
the, the conclusion of our faith. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the age and the life of the age to come. So as we, again, embark on the beginning of a new journey, which is the, 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 the Holy Great Fast, you know, a lot of times we are excited. Something new, something exciting, you know, we're different hymns, different rites, different uh, foods, everything like that. All that is great. But what is our goal? What is the end of our fasting? What is the end of our worship? How are we going to go up the steps? You know, we need to kind of put together a plan with our spiritual father of how do I go? How do I benefit from this fast? And what is the end? It may be just one virtue that I work on during the fast, but that's my goal. It may be just one vice that I'm going to try to fight against during the fast. Okay. Find out, you know, what the goal, what is the end and work towards it. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Questions or comments? Okay. Shall we pray? Let's stand up and pray. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Lord God, Amen. We thank you, my friend, and we thank you, my friend, and we thank you, please help us, and that the Lord is left, please help us, to go step by step in our spiritual lives, and grow more, and get to know you a lot more, so we are much more ready to meet you, and to be in the heavens of Christ. Please be with us also in our daily lives. Through the intercessions of uh, St. Mary's and Paul, and through the intercessions of all the saints, please hear for him very thankfully. Our, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil one. 